The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the show. Tonight is going to be one of those nights, and when I say one of those nights, I mean one of those nights where my brain has trouble keeping up with the guests. Well, I say uh, already, already having trouble. Guest, it's one guest. Mark Fiorentino will be with us. Mark has been on the program before. He's written a book. The book is called Master of Reality, and basically Mark shares his views on how the universe really works based on his study and research of Einstein's unified field theory. So already I'm lost. But he's going to be discussing how Einstein's theory can be used to travel through space, how it can be used to create renewable energy, also future technology, some of the things we've seen on Star Trek and other sci-fi television programs and movies. He'll also talk about the connection to conspiracy theories that include UFOs and alien technology that they use and maybe the government uses, and other controversial topics such as how it relates to near-death experiences, all of it related to the theory of superrelativity. So that's going to be our discussion tonight. I'm already concerned that I'm going to have a headache by the end of it just because these concepts are huge. It's, whenever you start talking about that level of physics, that level of the universe, uh, I have a tough time getting my brain around it. I'm, I'm sure the, you, the audience has much easier time than I do, um, but I'm, I'm just admitting up front that, uh, that this stuff, uh, it confounds me. So it'll be interesting to talk about it with Mark. He's, he puts it in terms that will make it very, very understandable and relatable. And uh, again, having him on the show before, I remember the discussion. I remember how interesting it is. So it's going to be a great time, as always, and uh, looking forward to that. I, 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 there was something I wanted to bring up, and I don't remember what it was now. See, see what happens? This is why I can't get my brain around physics. I can't even remember what I was going to talk about. There was some stuff that was important, too. Oh, well, in the meantime, make sure you subscribe to the channels, YouTube, Twitch primarily, and also the podcast version of the show. If you've been a Twitch subscriber in the past and you haven't been over there recently, I encourage you to jump on and refresh that subscription. Most people use their Amazon Prime account to link it. That way there's no subscription fee. And if you could do that, I appreciate it. Uh, we have a number, a number of great followers on Twitch. Uh, but uh, the subscription numbers, you know, they ebb and flow, so we're trying to get those numbers up. Uh, Twitch is our backup. As you know, we've had problems with YouTube, not just with what they're doing, but just occasionally these platforms have their own technical problems, and we have to use backup broadcast options. Twitch is ours for this, this program. And, of course, the podcast is always a great way to do it as well. Uh, let's see. No, I wasn't going to talk about Scaricon breaking. I don't remember what it was, but it was very, very important, obviously. Very, very important. Uh, it'll come to me at some point, and I'll, I'll be reminded to talk about it. We do have some great programs coming up. Uh, John Russell, you remember John? I've had John on a bunch of different stuff. He always has some great things to talk about as it relates to ghosts and his work as a psychic medium. He was also on the Paranormal Roadhogs program that we did. Uh, by the way, if you're into bikes and uh, the paranormal, you might want to check that out on Facebook, Paranormal Roadhogs. There's no regular schedule of programming for that yet, uh, but hopefully in, in the future we can do that. As you know, I'm working on many, many shows, many projects, so often the uh, the priorities get shuffled around a little bit. Uh, pretty, pretty soon I'm going to be I'm going to be streaming, you know, 20 hours a day every seven days a week. That seems where we're headed here. Britt and I are talking um, about very, very soon making putting the Independence Gang on seven or five days a week, not seven, five days a week, Monday through Friday. 
and then uh, also adding the Murder at Midnight program that we've talked about on the Independence Gang, which will follow the Independence Gang. It'll be a show that'll be on the Independence Gang channel. It'll be it'll be the Independence Gang presents Murder at Midnight, and uh, we'll present information on cases that are either uh, ongoing and unsolved, like the Gabby Petito case, or uh, maybe some uh, cases from the past that have updates, new information, or just some maybe classic unsolved cases. You know, there there are several of those kicking around that people still talk about, depending on what's in the news. So that's that's what's happening. A lot of things going on. No shortage of projects, that's for sure. And we, I, I certainly appreciate it. I know that uh, that when I start a new show or we do something um, new on whatever channel it happens to be, so many of you who have supported me here on Beyond Reality make the switch over to that program and support me there and whoever I have with me there as well. And thank you so much for doing that. I really, really do appreciate it. And it's really heartwarming to see so many of those names show up in multiple chat rooms for multiple programs. So thanks so much for doing that. Okay, so let's go to break and let's get our guest on the phone so we can start talking about this stuff. Again, I'm going to have to ask him to speak slowly for me. So I hope that doesn't bother you. Uh, but we will be talking about some great things tonight with Mark Fiorentino. That's coming up right here on Beyond Reality. Hey, it's JV here. You know I've asked for your support in the past, and I'm going to do it again because it's really, really important. And there are a couple of ways you can support the show, and it's so inexpensive. Now, you can go to Patreon, and you can become a Patreon supporter, and we really, really encourage that. But there's also another way. If you look at the description of the podcast, if you're a podcast listener, and you scroll down to the bottom, there's a way to support the show directly through the podcast app. And it's only 99 cents a month. It's less than a buck. You probably have that change in your couch right now. That dollar a month less than a dollar goes a long way in helping us produce this program provide great interviews for you during the course of the week i thank you in advance because the support is so important to the program thanks for being here everyone i want to remind you once more time that the podcast version of the show is available on all major podcast platforms you can find it just about anywhere you find your podcast the show is called uh, beyond reality paranormal on the podcast platforms, and I encourage you to subscribe to that as well. The nice thing about the podcast platforms is that it downloads automatically to your podcast app on your phone or your other device, and that way it's always available for you if you're interested in uh, listening to the show. Maybe you missed one, you want to catch up, you know, that's right there for you. And it's in a nice, uh, nice easy-to-listen-to package. So, again, thank you to everyone who who's already subscribed, and I encourage you to do that as well. We have about 10,000 downloads of the program a day in the podcast form. So it's really, really exciting. And again, one of the reasons we have so many people listening to the program, whether it's the live stream or the podcast version of the show, is because we have terrific guests. Like our returning guest tonight, Mark Fiorentino. Mark has been obsessed with Einstein's unified field theory ever since hearing about it as a child. He's worked for many years in the high-tech industry, including for IBM. He's written about this. He's studied it. He's researched it. And he does a great job of explaining it to lay in layman's terms, which is the only way I would possibly understand it. Mark, welcome back to the program. So great to have you on again. Oh, thank you for having me back on. So you're still at this. You're still researching you're still exploring the depths of these ideas and you're still coming up with new answers and new ideas yes that's correct i just completed a paper that i worked on for six months which is basically the scientific paper that explains my theory and with the math so it's about 50 pages long i uploaded it to ResearchGate. so that now i have the backing of the scientific paper that describes my model, the unified field theory model, 
which basically combines electromagnetism and gravity with the single fundamental field. And uh, it's all merged now and is official with the mathematics. So I completed that just uh, a few weeks ago and uh, presented to uh, anti-gravity conference to help them and propose an experiment to perform that can prove anti-gravity. So when you do something like that, Mark, is and again, forgive my, my layman's view of all this, but when you do something like that and you, have a, you, you submit a paper like that, is that the type of thing that uh, you know, fellow um, physicists and other scientists would take a look at and, and do the quote-unquote peer review kind of thing to, to test your ideas? Well, that's as close as I can get. Yes, there are scientists that go to ResearchGate and, and conduct review and, and, and in fact, uh, read the paper. I get notified every time somebody reads the paper. This is the only shot I have, really, uh, at getting, because most journals, are they just won't accept your documents if you're not, uh, you know, uh, degreed in physics. Right. And, you're, and you have to have the uh, preferred uh, uh, type of subject, like either quantum mechanics related or string theory related. When you go into classical field theory and that kind of stuff, they start to limit that uh, as being something they'll accept. So this was the only way in the circumstance that I'm in that I could submit that paper for scientists to read. Is that exciting for you? I mean, you must get a tremendous amount of satisfaction after you do all this work and you're able to put it together in paper form where people can actually read it and and try to get a grasp on your ideas, maybe even comment and provide you some feedback. That must be genuinely satisfying. It's good to get it out there because it's something I needed to do. Uh, it's one thing to write the book, and I, I put a basic equation in there that I used to build the system or a set of equations that I used in my paper to solve the mass for the neutron. Uh, that's really, you know, what needed to be done to demonstrate the model. You could compute the mass, not using quantum mechanics, not at all. No probabilities were necessary. I just used it uh, with my model, which basically says that um, gravity is caused by accelerated motion of fundamental unbalanced charges. So I put those charges into motion with these formulas, and it generated the mass, the exact mass, uh, that the neutron makes. And it can be used for the proton, and I have solved for the proton as well, or any particle that has mass. It's, it's quite extraordinary to hear you talk about this, and um, it really basically brings us down, it digs us into the fundamental uh, building blocks of everything, <laughs> everything, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about when we start peeling away the, these layers of the onion. Yeah, uh, the universe starts out very simple. There's only one thing that exists. That thing is space, or the fundamental field, which they called the ether back in the early 1900s. And, and that's all there is. Everything is made from that. Everything else, all the particles, are nothing more than convolutions of space, which is basically what, what Einstein did. It, he, he, it was said that, indeed, one might say that Einstein wanted to build matter out of nothing but convolutions of space-time. In the process, he used all sorts of mathematical devices but constantly searched for others. I did the same thing 
I found the, the device, the equations that will do that job. And, and the irony is they've been around for centuries, all the way back to Newton's time. I, I just modified them going from the large scale to the small scale so that we could calculate the mass of you know, particles. So that's all that needed to be done. And, and it's actually very simple. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's easy it's easy to hear you say that <laughs> well in from the perspective of a physicist this is like astonishing simple the one physicist that i sent it to so far he couldn't believe it he didn't refute the math he just simply couldn't believe that i could get the mass from nothing but particles in motion relative to space it, it, it's taught in physics but it's taught in such a way that don't believe that you know that's an old school theory you know from Einstein don't believe that you can make mass that way so he was in shock when he tried to talk himself out of it uh, and, and that was interesting to get that point of view and see how he reacted because you know most of our physicists are, are quantum mechanics people or worse yet the string theory and it's just so far from their thinking, it, it, it just it staggers them. And I think I'm going to get some more of that along the way here. But somehow, some way, I'm going to have to make a breakthrough in that realm, hopefully. Otherwise, this will fall into uh, to the cracks, and it could be decades or maybe even centuries before somebody stumbles over this again. I mean, I hope I can pull this off and, and get this known. To mainstream physics, you know, all I can do is do these shows and keep trying to get the message out there. But it's it's tricky business. Yeah, I'm it, in a strange circumstance. It is tricky, uh, but you do a great great job of communicating. And I think that uh, you know, given the fact that your your path has to be through communication and talking, as you said yeah. on shows like this, you're doing a great job of that. I want to um, just because it, it's so fundamental to everything we're going to be talking about here. When you say space and you say the ether, uh, when I hear the word space, I think of absolute nothingness. Not, you know, it's almost hard to think of a void, but it's a void. And is that what you mean when we talk about space? Yeah, most physicists, you know, there's a big argument. Uh, I remember asking uh, an astronomer uh, who was giving a lecture at the college that I lived near. I, I asked him, uh, what is space? And he just looked around and he got this smile on his face and said, we don't know. I respect that answer. But most, most physicists will say, just like you said, it's a void, it's empty, it's nothing. And nothing could be further from the truth than that. Space is a real thing. It's the only thing. It's a substance. And I, I describe it in extreme detail in my book to make that point, and in the paper. I spend the first 45 or so pages breaking down, proving the ether exists, proving space is a physical object. It's a quasi-elastic solid, and uh, everything comes from that. And, and so to me, space, even though it is like a void, it doesn't have any particles or an atmosphere or anything like that in it. Uh, it's a thing, a simple thing, a quasi-elastic solid, which basically, I, I mean, quasi mean 
if you put a force to it, like a magnetic field out in the middle of space, and you hold the magnetic field out there, it will cause space to bend according to that magnetic force. When you remove that force, uh, the space snaps back to the, its flat Euclidean form. So that's the quasi part. Elastic means it, it moves only in small increments, this way or that, as it's bent. And solid, when I, I mean solid, I mean something in its strictest terms, definition, that which is continuous. That's it. Don't think of solid like metal or steel or wood. It just means something that is continuous. It's not made up of any parts. That's what space is. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm strapped here down with words that I have to use to describe something that's invisible. Yeah. We'll never be able to see it unless we go into the spiritual realm uh, where we have total consciousness. But, but here, you know, I'm stuck with using words and these communication devices in order to describe this thing that's a black box that cannot be seen. Is it, to try to put it in simple terms for me, uh, imagine we didn't understand what water was and we were floating in the ocean in, in you know up submerged in the ocean we're surrounded by all this that so we didn't we didn't know we can see through it we can you know whatever uh we don't we might not necessarily be aware that it's all around us is that kind of a way to envision it well there are additional things that i use to to know that you're in it like you're saying with the ocean example that's a good example well first of all uh it particles go through this Space, you know, photon light particles, electrons, everything from the sun, they all travel through it, and they are all transverse waves. And Einstein said, you can only have transverse waves in a solid. So there's evidence there. If you understand that and you take it to heart, since transverse waves are traveling through this thing we call space, whatever it is, it's a solid. Um, and then space has properties. So this is another clue, a tip-off. It has the properties of permeability and permittivity, which have to do with the way electrostatic fields and magnetic fields propagate through space. And, and it's a measurable properties. So if that thing were truly made of nothing, absolutely nothing at all, you wouldn't have the measurable properties of permeability and permittivity yet they're there and measurable. I can go out into deep space away from nothing and measure those things, and it will have that. So there's more indications that this thing is a something. And, and the, perhaps the greatest piece of evidence of all of how you know there's something there, if you accelerate when you're in outer space away from gravity, away from planets, and you're just floating, and all of a sudden you hit the gas and accelerate, you will be pulled back into your chair and you will feel inertia. Inertia comes and exists because you're traveling, you're accelerating relative to space. And so there's more evidence there. That's the kind of the matches your ocean example. You get a feel for that there's something there and something that your body and the particles in your body are reacting with when they accelerate. This is all rock solid evidence that space is a something. And this has been kind of uh, shoved under the rug with modern-day physicists who want to say everything is, you know, uh, 
abstract and random and uh, not real uh, unless you observe it. Uh, this is saying that we're dealing with a real substance, and, and we're going to study. I studied it as a metaphysician. I studied the nature of things, and I studied the nature of space. Mark, uh, you, you started this quest, this curiosity, with an introduction to Einstein's work as a child. And already tonight, you've obviously mentioned Einstein and his work several times as a foundation for the things we're talking about and the work that you have done. How instrumental, and I know this is probably, uh, you know, there's, there's you could probably no way to overstate how instrumental, but how instrumental is Einstein's work? There have been some critics recently that have said he was wrong on a number of things. Um, yet at the same time, did Einstein realize the full implications of this work as you, you know, obviously extract more um, realities from the work and other scientists have as well? Yes, he, he understood nature and reality. In my opinion, he was a like me, a true metaphysician, uh, and he was dealing with reality as he believed it really is and really exists, and he knew it better than anybody. He is the expert, and I, you know, 90-plus percent of what I got comes from him. I just, com I just continued following the path and accumulated the rest of the evidence and information and made links, like the equivalence principle. I solved what that really means. Uh, in Einstein's day, uh, you know, there was the equivalence principle that basically said accelerated motion in the absence of a gravitational field is in, indis indistinguishable from unaccelerated motion in the presence of a gravitational field. That was just, well, why? Why are they the same? And in my book and in the paper, you know, I describe inertia and I, I describe mass and gravity all coming about as a contraction of space, a physical contraction. And Einstein knew about it because he, he read about something called the Ehrenfest Paradox, which he got very excited about when he saw what Ehrenfest and really Max Born said before him about this mechanical method for how something could generate mass. When he saw that, he wrote like four or five more papers on it. But I don't think anybody really grasped it, this paradox and, and the incredibly powerful meaning uh, of what it's, it's stating. Because from that uh, paradox, that example, he got the idea for general relativity and how to bend space. A gravitational field is According to super relativity, is nothing more than a contraction of space. So I get a lot from Einstein, and I want to honor his memory every chance I get. Even the name of my theory, super relativity, is to honor the memory of Albert Einstein. You mentioned earlier uh, when we were talking about what space is, what is space. We know something's there, but we don't know quite what it is. But you said when we're in the spiritual realm, and I might be misquoting you a little bit, but be, when we're in the spiritual realm, we will know because we'll have full and complete understanding. Or uh, Talk about that a little bit more. What did you mean by that? Yeah, uh, along with studying um, mainstream science and history, Newton and Faraday and Maxwell and all those guys, I also studied many, many, many near-death experiences, looking for more evidence, looking for a greater understanding, 
why would I do that? What's the theory behind that? I got the idea actually from Einstein who said this, I want to know how God created this world. I'm not interested in this or that phenomena in the spectrum of this or that element. I want to know his thoughts. The rest are details. So I thought about that and I said, well, if I want to know how this universe works, the best thing to do is go to the person that created this thing and ask him myself. Now, normally, the only way to do that, since in my theory it's intelligent design theory, so the creator, God created the universe, I would have to die in order to ask him. But in, instead of doing that, I went to people that did die and had a near-death experience and looked for information. And I figured if God wanted to get the information to us, it would come through some of these people, and I did find evidence there. So what I'm basically saying is if you want to know how something works, go to the person that created that something and ask them. That was my purpose in going through the NDEs, since when they get to the other side, they're connected to that that matrix, that total conscious consciousness, uh, and it's described over and over again by many near-death people. So there's a connection, and, and anything you want to know, you just ask it, and it's answered. Uh, so... There was information I got from the other side, very definitely, and I put that in the book. So uh, our ordinary scientists would never dream of doing that yeah. outside of their realm. And that's that puts them in a keyhole. And uh, I went beyond it. Don't get me wrong. I love scientists. But I have to say, science has its limitations. Scientists see their world in different ways as each discipline sees the world in part but not the whole. There are scientists that have spent their entire time here on Earth looking through a keyhole, the keyhole being the scientific method. They have spent their lives trying to widen that keyhole in order to see more and know more, and now I am attempting to widen that keyhole by explaining that our reality comes from the Creator, who is the source of everything. Many scientists will, upon hearing that the keyhole can be widened by ways they can even imagine will quickly reject the possibility. I accept that many will do this, but that's my philosophy, and I don't apologize for it. I want to get to the truth, and and that's what I did. Mark, um, I don't know if it's the nature of this program or if it's a general a shifting of uh, maybe an acceptance of these ideas, but you know, I've heard other scientists talk the way you're talking. And make hey. this make <laughs> make this connection between, uh, you know, what we've known to be science and what we've known to be more of a spiritual world, and and they're starting to say that science is actually starting to support the idea of not not dispute these ideas, but actually support these ideas of afterlife and this, as you mentioned, greater consciousness, all of those things. Um, do you see that shift happening as well, or do you still feel like a bit of an island in this? I, it is my intention to help that happen. As Einstein once said, science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. It's time that they become merged again. And eventually, science will be subsumed by religion, since the Creator is the source of, well, all of this three-dimensional world is, is within God. There is nothing outside of God. Everything within this physical universe has to correspond to laws, and God set those laws. 
They are immutable as God is immutable. None of this, what we see and experience, is an accident. It is intentioned by God. And I say that in my book, that this particular thing that I'm talking about is through the power of intention. We're, we're digging right down to the core of reality here to explain how things work. And it's, I am happy to hear that you're hearing that there's, there's some scientists. I, I have seen some, too. It's, they're not all atheists or agnostics or whatever. But, yeah, I, I'm happy to hear that there's a trend where they're coming around. This is very important because that's the way it really is. When we get down to it, each one of us, when we pass away, within seconds of getting there, we know the truth. You know, the darkness is over. And, and we understand things again, and, and that is the truth. So hopefully this, this trend that you notice continues. I, I, I sincerely hope so. I'm going to do my part to, to bring it about. Let's talk about the beginning of it all then. Uh, you know, we're, we're taught in schools, I suppose. I mean, it's been a while since I've been in school. But we're taught of, of this idea that uh, there was a single particle, uh, this super particle that exploded. This is the Big Bang Theory, if you will. And right. it created everything. Um, what's your version of the creation based on what we've just talked about? Oh, uh, I definitely have a version there. I spend three chapters at the back of my book explaining the Big Bang. In my Big Bang theory, it all comes about due to, and this really reeks of, of intelligent design, it comes about from the particle called the neutron. The neutron has some very odd behavior. And uh, if you're a believer in intelligent design, that odd it makes you ask a question. And here's the odd behavior. A neutron, uh, if it's inside of an element where there's protons and other neutrons, that neutron is stable for practically eternity. But if you isolate the neutron out in space, just one by itself, within 15 minutes it decays into something a proton and an electron. And that is like, gosh, it rocked me when I realized a proton and electron is hydrogen. Why did the designer make the neutron do this? There has to be a reason for it. You know, in quantum mechanics, they, it's a mystery. We don't know why it does that. But I say, if you look at it from the perspective of intelligent design, it suddenly makes sense. If, in fact, it does that, and there is going to be a moment in time when you can count on that there's going to be a load of neutrons out there somewhere, and that point is the Big Bang. So I'm saying that cosmic egg, what you call the particle, which was in reality a massive black hole that is millions of light years across inside that contains all the matter and energy in the universe in a specific form neutrons, neutronium. And when this thing lets go and cuts loose, out comes massive amounts of neutronium gas or a plasma, along with neutronium spheres, which come into, they're the seeds, the cosmic seeds that start the new universe. So within 15 minutes, according to my theory, according to, you know, atomic theory, the, the neutrons will all convert to hydrogen, just what the universe needs to build another universe again. You need lots of hydrogen to start the stars. So you got 
tons of hydrogen gas along with these tinier neutron spheres that didn't dissolve or, or, or become gaseous in that explosion. These neutron spheres go out and then they form the galaxies and the stars and the planets. So what I'm saying is our sun inside, in the middle of it, has a solid core made of neutronium. That's how the gas was uh, captured to form that star. You need a gravitational force. And I know this for sure, because if you ask an astrophysicist how the star is created, they get a little fuzzy. Well, somehow the gas is combined and contracted into a star. There's no way hydrogen gas on its own is going to contract and form the pressure <laughs> that, you know, comes a star because the repulsive force of the electromagnetic field of the proton is orders of magnitude larger than the gravitational field that it emits. Therefore, it will stay separate in a gas out in outer space. It must have a gravitational force. So my theory, the cosmological theory, says that comes from neutronium, which came from the birth of the universe when the Big Bang happened. So I went, when I, you know, I thought of all this, and I said to myself, let's find some evidence. Let's see if the sun has a solid core. And so I went, and I looked around, and I searched, and I found some articles and an article talking about something called the tackle line. It's a measurement that NASA performed to see that, you know, the gases around the sun, how they're moving. And they're, they're moving at a speed that's actually slower. There's something inside of the sun that's spinning much more rapidly. And as you go down, you can see the gases are becoming one, and suddenly there's a drop-off, and all the lines converge. And if you see this chart, you'll know what I'm talking about, into a flat line, straight line, heading toward the core, which is indicating there's something solid there. I mean really solid. And, um, but nobody will come out and say, well, I bet you there's neutronium there. <laughs> they just say, well, Adam, that's probably just real dense gas. There's no way gas on its own is going to achieve that density uh, without help from a gravitational force. So there's evidence right there. Uh, but it's a matter of uh, interpretation at this point. So that's basically my, my theory, very, you know, shortened up. Uh, there's more details in there, but that's why it took three chapters to describe it. But um, that's the theory of the cosmology of, uh, of the, the design of uh, the universe. Mark, we, and correct me if I'm wrong, we have witnessed the the death of stars, you know, through our our, our, our telescopes. We have right. have we witnessed the birth of stars? Uh, they, you can see, yes, you know, some stars that when they call in nurseries that are glowing brightly, and uh, what we would need to see is a star at the very beginning of birth, and we have seen some out there where there's something dark, dense and there's just this little bit of glowing gas around it. This is just the beginning uh, of a... So it could even be a black hole that creates a new star. And it, it surrounds itself. It's spinning rapidly, and that's important. That keeps the matter from falling directly onto the surface. It starts to rapidly rotate and spiral around the object and form an atmosphere, just like Earth has an atmosphere. 
you know, it's rotating and the and the it, it has this mass. It holds the gases close to the surface of the Earth and has an atmosphere. The sun has a rock solid, heavily powerful gravitational field being emitted by uh, the neutronium core. And, and you bring up a good point. You said, you know, when these supernovas happen and they blow out, what what's left? A neutron star, a pulsar, which is a neutron star, or in some cases a black hole. All I'm saying is that explosion didn't cause that to be there. It was already there. And what happened is the pressure was became so great as it started getting toward the heavier elements, the pressure blowing out overcame the gravitational pull of the thing that's holding that star together and blows away the atmosphere, revealing the sun source, which is the neutronium course. And that's going to be discovered eventually. I'm predicting it now. I was the first, the only one that I know of, <laughs> to figure all that out. So that's a bold prediction I'm making, and I'm asking people to look into this, prove it. There's got to be more ways we can experiment with the sun and detect the neutronium core. You uh, you talk about the sun source, and I know in some of the notes um, that I have here, you talk about aliens and angels referencing the sun source. When you use the word aliens True. and angels, are they in the form that we would recognize them as? Aliens as in other life forms, non-terrestrial life forms, and angels as in religious or spiritual angels? Yes, they, yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm, angels are angels from the spirit realm, and, you know, E.T. is uh, some other life form from some other planet, some other species, whatever, uh, who are aware of this already. I mean, they are advanced, and they reference this by that name, Sun Source. So I'm, I'm, that, to me, is more evidence. Uh, the Earth. I firmly believe in its core has a very small neutronium core, which gathered the initial gases, that uh, hydrogen, which then it started, it, the sun source does what it does. It compresses that hydrogen and makes it fuse into helium. And then it compresses the helium and it makes it fuse into the next element. And this keeps happening over millions of years until a crust forms. So you start out with a like a dim star, a planet like the Earth or Saturn or Jupiter or whatever, and eventually that system generates all of the elements in the periodic table. And sure enough, the Earth has them all. Where did they, how did they get here? Yeah, we made them right here. And then, of course, when I you know I said, oh my God, the Earth has a, a core too. I went to look for evidence. So I says, well, I know in fusion, uh, when that process happens, neutrinos shoot from the uh, from the the fusion um, process. So I looked for somebody that pointed a, neutri a neutrino detector at the center of the Earth, and I found somebody in Japan who had a, a neutron detector, and he pointed it at the center of the Earth. And guess what he found? Neutrons, <laughs> yeah. neutrinos coming from the center of the earth more evidence but you know, will they say oh well there's an <laughs> there's a fusion process there maybe or it could even be fission but if it were fission you know 
that would be very messy, and there would be a lot of lot more radioactivity in the lava than there is. The lava is pretty clean, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so there's fusion more than likely happening, and and it, and it takes the sun source or a neutronium core to. Um, and there's more evidence that I'm going to reveal in my second book that comes from the other side on this, because I asked the other side, and they confirmed that, yes, that's correct. The other side uh, being the spirit realm? Yes. Uh, are, do, are you a, a psychic medium? Do you do, you do that yourself, no. or do you use somebody no, no. else to do it? No, uh, I do not do that myself. Um, I have, the next book is going to explain a lot of things about, my history and how a lot of this was really predicted many years ago. And uh, all along the way, I, you know, at various times, I would, I would have a, a chance to meet with a, a psychic or a medium. And occasionally, on a rare occasion, they would mention something and then I would inquire more. At the end, toward the end of the book, uh, I did have a, a chance to speak with a very good medium, Tamara Calder Richardson, uh, the Southern Bell medium. And I, I had asked or talked to her because I was very concerned about uh, something that happened to me that caused me to seek out a medium. Not this book. I wasn't really asking about the book or the theory at that time. I thought, yeah, it's right, it's pretty good, but... I got this urgent issue, which I will explain fully in the book. I wanted to fully document everything was said and done so that people understand how I got there and how all this information came about. And it is startling information. And, but I want to document it fully, and I'm writing that second book right now. And uh, it's like a prequel, basically, to, to, to this book and what's happened here to acknowledge the fact that a lot of what I got comes from the spiritual realm, confirmation and cooperation with my ideas. So there's a lot of stuff to cover yet. Yeah. Uh, Mark, I want to get into a, a couple uh, kind of separate topics here. They relate to the conversation, but they're kind of standalones as well. Um, you even mentioned anti-gravity. I think you said you spoke or you, you submitted the paper to an anti-gravity conference. Was that? Did I hear right. you right? Yes. Where do we stand with anti-gravity technology? Well, I think, as many people do, I don't think this is a surprise, that the U.S. government has probably, since around 1947 or in that decade or in the early 1950s, reverse-engineered uh, crashed UFOs and has that technology. And, you know, I don't think that's a surprise. Any, I think most people now believe that, and more so every day. Uh, so, you know, they... The, They've classified that information, and they're not going to let it go because it gives, for two reasons, the worldwide panic that there's aliens, and more importantly, strategic military advantage that they get from having this technology, and maybe nobody else has it. I don't know. Maybe China has it, but uh, I don't know. Uh, so where do we stand? Very well in that they they have it, but they won't acknowledge it, so... And until the U.S. government acknowledges aliens and um, UFO technology, anti-gravity, and along with anti-gravity, once you master anti-gravity technology, you also, as a bonus, get faster than light-speed space travel. 
when you create the slip wave field, uh, part of the bonus there is uh, that anti-gravity propulsion field uh, enables the space to be biased in such a way that you can move through it faster than the speed of light. And that's completely necessary to get to other star systems. Yeah. Going at the speed of light is way too slow. Yeah. Um, if we have this technology, if they've reversed engineered it, have we ever seen unwilling or unknowingly uh, its use, any applications that you can point to that we you know, didn't recognize what was happening at the time? <laughs> uh, the only thing that I could think of is how these Mars rovers keep getting repaired and it stopped working, and then all of a sudden it starts working again. Yeah. Or, or you see, and it's all dusty and dirty, and then six months later, he takes another picture of itself, and it's spotless. You know, how did that happen? There's no rain on the Mars. How did it get all clean again? <laughs> so, are you <laughs> so suggesting they're you know, using I'm this looking technology? Around looking for any kind of evidence. That's about the only thing I've seen. Um, they're going to keep this. It's so important. It's it's the world's biggest secret you know the the idea that you know alien technology aliens exist is 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 without a doubt the biggest event in the history of the earth and it's being kept from us and my concern is we need the anti-gravity field the slip wave technology so that we can prepare for the day when we have to leave the earth which is going to come eventually maybe Billions of years from now, or maybe a month from now. It depends on our circumstances. You know, if there's a big asteroid heading toward us, if we don't have the space defense system that I describe in my book to repel it, we're going to be in big trouble. We need this to keep our society, our culture, our species alive. Uh, and as long as we're we don't have it, and we don't have these drones to repel, and we don't have the ability to leave the planet if there's some great natural natural catastrophe, we're in jeopardy. We can be wiped out. Uh, at some point, we got to just say we need to release this and allow the world to develop this technology, so that everyone, if we have to escape this planet, can get off when the time comes. Uh, it's happened before. The The scenario you just yeah. described is one of many possible scenarios where an asteroid, a, a significant asteroid hits the Earth and makes it uninhabitable. It's happened before. Uh, yeah. So that's certainly not far-fetched by any means. Let's say it happens in a month. Let's say, we'll say, let's say we identify something heading this way in a month. It's going to be here in a year. And let's say we do have the techno- technology to get off the Earth. Where would we go? Do we know where to go? That's why we have to have this technology. Uh, I will bet you that We've already done what I'm about to say. Sent out probes that are moving tens of thousands of times faster than the speed of light to all the nearby stars. The probe's mission is to go into the atmosphere, measure the atmosphere, uh, take pictures. Uh, is there life there? Can it support life? So we know we can. We got an exit point that we can go to, one or more, preferably more than one that we can go in an emergency and colonize. And then then after that, you start sending missions there. You know, the Space Force, um, that's probably the stuff that it's doing right now. Hopefully it's not trying to find other aliens to battle with. 
Yeah. Uh, the last thing we need to do is start more wars out yeah. in outer space. Yeah. Uh, let's let's try, you know, making peace this time and, and negotiating and, and no more manifest destiny. Let's just, if there's something there, we should ask permission before we colonize. Uh, but, you know, every every planet has to have this system set up. But sooner or later, something, a disease is going to spread... Our core is unstable. The Earth's core is very unstable. Look at the geographic uh, websites and the geodesic uh, displays. And the Earth's core, the crust, is cracked all the way around. Yeah. The ring of fire. There's hundreds of volcanoes. Earthquakes going on literally every minute. We should worry about that. You know, I find it I find it a bit humorous, and I don't want to get into a, a climate change discussion here at this point, but I find it humorous when, you know, we have some of these people screaming about this, and I keep thinking to myself, all the Earth has to do is hiccup, and we're all dead. Yeah. And we're dead. Yeah. For all we know, you know, mountains can be formed in a matter of hours. If there's a great upheaval, uh, you know, massive earthquakes, maybe a beyond 9, 12, or 15, or 20 uh, yeah. uh, on the Richter scale. Um, that You're t- talking about uh, chunks of land just shooting up 50 feet into the air uh, or 20 feet or whatever, like that one under that happened under the sea near Japan. That was a big shove up, and that made a tremendous tidal wave. Mm-hmm. Well, if we get something that's 20 or 30 times that, we're talking about, you know, whole states breaking off and falling into the ocean. We don't know that the Earth isn't capable of that. Uh, there is some inf- information that in very early in our country, in the center of the United States, there was a magnitude 12 earthquake. It leveled everything that was there. It wasn't much there. We're talking over 200 years ago when this happened. Um, uh, but that's, you know, nobody alive has seen anything close to that. Right. Uh, the Earth is capable of doing that, and, and, and maybe worse. Uh, Yellowstone, if that thing erupts, you'll have a 25-mile-wide volcano spewing enough ash into the air. Forget global warming. We're going to have severe global cooling if that goes off, yep. and, and we're going to lose millions of lives, and, you know, farm production is going to drop. People are going to starve. There's a lot of things that could go wrong. And everything that you've described as a possibility has happened at some point, most likely, yeah. and in many cases, many times, in the four billion years of the Earth uh, as, as existence. I mean, it's it, it, for people to make these observations and decisions based on their narrow view of what they've seen in their lifetime, or maybe they go back 100 years and suggest that that tells them everything they need to know about what's happening around them is so naive. And I, and yeah. I just repeat it over and over again. Yes, yes. I agree. It, it is true. We're... <laughs> We're worrying about a lot of stuff. Yeah, we need to take care of this planet. I do agree with that. Mm-hmm. We need to be responsible. Stop throwing plastic into the ocean. Right. And, and, and all these things that we're doing as people who are very materialistic and don't give a damn about their environment or anybody else. We need to raise that consciousness so that we care about this. 
If we don't, the planet itself is going to do something as a response uh, to ignore the cosmic <laughs> uh, ramifications of doing great harm. We put out an energy uh, that's basically going to be disruptive, and in response to that, some natural disaster occurs, and it cleans up the mess itself. And, and that may happen if we don't get our act together here eventually. So, you know, hey, I'm saying let's, let's start um, thinking about what we can do to make this world better. Definitely we need to do that. But uh, and of not, course- not all convinced about the global warming as being caused by greenhouse gases. I do right. believe mankind is the problem, but I believe it's in the structures we're building and creating, and we're, 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 we're causing a lot of heat to build up at the surface and convert it from radiant energy to convection energy, and it's, and it's stored when it does that. It takes a lot longer to dissipate, and that's what we see at the Earth's surface is heating up. But higher altitudes... It's actually a little cooler than normal, but right here at the surface, it's heating up, and uh, that's mankind is doing that. But, and I have solutions, and I have one in the book that I propose, but it's pretty radical. There's other <laughs> things we could do, but uh, I want to I want to ask you about something that uh, is often referred to in. In, in anybody's, you know, kitchen table conversation about science fiction and the future and technology, you know, we look at Star Trek as being a, an innovative television program in a series of films that's demonstrated a lot of technology. And we often say, you know, will we realize some of this technology as time moves forward? And I think we have realized a bunch of this technology already. But one of the big ones is the transporter idea. Uh, is that something that factors into any of these things that we've been talking about? I have been doing some study on the aliens, their teleportation or transporter technology. It's not like uh, Star Trek's. I see that as highly inefficient way to uh, <laughs> to move people from one spot to the other. According to some of the abductees that I've talked to, it's very different. It's it's hard to reverse engineer. It's like there's this tube that they they can step into, and it feels velvety. It's almost like there's a fluid uh, made of a, some sort of force field, and, and it's controlled, this teleportation or this transporter technology, by thought. So you step into it, and you arrive at a different part of the ship. Uh, there's no doors sliding out, uh, open and closed or anything like on Star Trek. You step on into this tube, and it's got this blue and white light, and then you're moved to the, another location. And they use this beam to lift people up from the bottom of the ship. So it's probably using some sort of magnetic technology. Uh, but beyond that, I'm not sure what, but it's very different. The other thing, the other way to transport great distances is using um, a stargate where you open portals into different realms, different dimensions, and uh, different places in, in space and time. Uh, that uses a, a much more radical technology than I describe in the stargate chapter of my book. It's, it's this, the last chapter or the second to the last chapter. And um, 
that's a different kind of technology, and I believe we have that as well already. I often think about, you know, it's a bit scary, but but uh, there's more and more talk about this idea that we can take our consciousness and put it into digital form, put it on a computer and live forever in in that form, even though our physical body dies. If you take that same concept and you say, okay, if I can take my consciousness and load it onto, onto something digitally and then send that across the world, let's just use the, 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 our Earth for as an example, but send it to the other side of the world, even put it into uh, some type of robotic apparatus, let it wander around. Let's say I wanted to go to, uh, let's say I wanted to go to um, Rome, Italy. Uh, put it into a robot. I, my, the robot wanders around Rome with my consciousness comes back. My consciousness comes back to my body. Who's to say I wasn't there? Um, consciousness, uh, as it is in the uh, our form in our body, that's controlled by by God all across the entire universe. I have heard tale that in some limited circumstances that very advanced alien technology somehow is able to do uh, a transfer of consciousness, but that's got to be in with uh, higher form since they have such great spiritual uh, connection and, and psychic ability somehow they work out some sort of an arrangement where they can they can do this as well. But for the most part, when we're born, we're pa- our consciousness passes from the spirit realm into our body and binds to the flesh, mainly the brain, which the brain is not our consciousness. It's an interface to the material realm in, in that it processes your your vision and sound and all these other things, and makes those things available to our consciousness that resides within the brain. It's an incredibly, it's a miraculous thing. All right, uh, let, me, let me use a different word then. Let me use the word awareness. Let's say our consciousness remains with our, our body, yet somehow our, our awareness uh, can be projected through digital means to a different location and can experience all the things of that location and then it comes back to our brain and uh, is processed there within our consciousness. Is that the same as as transportation, being transported? Um, That's close, but what what you've done or what you're describing is an extension of your brain and interface. Right, right. And, and somehow, which would be an incredibly advanced technology, uh, that the human being would have to be very have strong psychic abilities, and it's possible so that you you pass a pattern that would, what you'd call consciousness or awareness to this device, and that pattern then behaves. Uh, as you would behave, it, it acquires experiences uh, through its sensors and whatever, and then that comes back to you. I think that's a possible technology, uh, not in our time, maybe, but maybe a million years from now or 10,000 years from now, maybe we can do that. But there's a lot of stuff that's got to go on. Uh, you have to have an interface that is psychic abilities interface which aliens have they steer their ships psychically and then 
do all kinds of things with thought. And, and we've even done those little experiments now with the Air Force flying some of our aircraft uh, just with thought. They have a special helmet and so forth. But you have to have, be very disciplined to make that work. If you have uh, a, a stray thought in the middle of yeah. flying a jet, that could be catastrophic. Right. Uh, so we're, we're only in the infancy of that kind of technology. But, yeah, what you're describing, I think, is theoretically possible. I think I just think we often find ourselves kind of thinking in a box here when we think about teleportation as being, especially when it, in, the, in the Star Trek version of all of this, our, you know, our molecules come apart, those molecules are somehow sent across space and they reform and you're physically there. And when we're thinking in that trap, we're not thinking about the idea, really it's the sensory part of being in a place that's the important part and you might be able to accomplish this teleportation in that manner not not necessarily a physical teleportation but again this is my small brain trying to process this stuff so i don't know if it makes any sense or not well i, I liken that to like a kind of a facsimile technology that physically faxes you from one place to another yeah I, I, you know, the computing power would be all the computing power on Earth and then some just to pull off that that trick. There's just better ways to do it where you just take the body in whole and either go interdimensional or, or use this other technique that I, I described in the Stargate. Stargate technology is essentially a teleportation device, except it opens portals. And you just, the whole body steps through from one place to the other. Yeah. Uh, way more efficient. Sounds like less computing power. <laughs> it sounds like it would be. Uh, leave it to me to complicate it. All right. Um, it's amazing how quickly an hour goes, and there's only a little bit of smoke coming out of my ears. So, uh, once again, Mark, you've done a terrific job of keeping it, uh, talking about these ideas in a way that I can understand them. Where can people get the book, and how, how soon do you expect the second book to be released? Well, I'm making good progress. I'm in the third chapter already, so maybe a little over a year, because I'm a pretty slow writer. <laughs> <laughs> and I go over things like 10 times, so uh, at, at least a year from now. And uh, my website is www.super-relativity.com, super-relativity.com. And you got links right on the front page to do the main things that you would do if you want to go to my site. Like, uh, buy the book. You could buy it on the site, or you could go to Amazon and buy it. Or you could, um, you know, look at my blog and some of the shows I've been on and some stuff like that. Uh, it's all right there on the front page. Terrific. Mark, thanks again for being here. Love having you on the show. Look forward to bringing you back. Uh, I don't know if we have to wait until the next book, but certainly by the time the next book comes out. Sure, sure, definitely. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.